Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters. So you made it to Friday. Congratulations. Anyway, today we're joined by a very special guest, Calvin Robinson. Thank you very much. Who is uh, fleeing <laughs> London for the, for the day. I am. I'm free. You're free. I'm literally free now. And of course, Carl. Hello. Who is here as well. I'm not a refugee. I suppose. <laughs> Maybe yes. from your household for the, for the day. Uh, Apparently they're all sick. Yeah, they are actually. They've got the sniffles, so uh, I'm okay at the moment. Oh, no. Well, we fine. Uh, begin. I suppose I'll mention what we're going to be talking about, of course, just to put people out of the misery. Of course, we'll be talking to Kelvin and asking what happened exactly, because even I'm still confused and I'm trying to pay attention to the news. Um, the fact that we really do have nothing in common with certain people and Darfarage, which do you want to break out the music or? I mean, I, I'm a I'm a man of eternal optimism. Yeah. I'm I, I realize it's not always popular, but I've always been an optimist. That's good. Anyway, we have an announcement to make, though, just real quick, I suppose, which is that um, it's Dan's birthday today. So Dan is having a birthday party at McDonald's. As <laughs> McDonald's. So we're having about three cheeseburgers. Do they, I, I remember those birthday parties. I was gonna say, were are you too young to remember McDonald's? No, we didn't have those. Oh, amazing. They were the best, weren't they? Well, yeah. They were, you just go around the kitchen before like, health and safety yeah, steps in. Genuinely amazing. That It's basically you and all of your, your little friends. You go to McDonald's and they just bring out loads of McDonald's food. Yeah. You just run around in a little play area and happy meal toys. Yeah. It was incredible. Like, <laughs> the world was so much better it was before sim- you were born. <laughs> I don't know how to explain. So those two things correlate. Yeah, no, no, not necessarily a direct causal relationship there. It's just just remember what they've taken from you. That's that does happen area. an awful lot though, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah. 1997, everything went bad apparently. Yeah. What happened in that year? Well, yeah. Someone came to power. Uh, so, something happened and things changed. <laughs> Anyway, but um, uh, get back, and da- back to Dan's birthday party, I suppose, as he runs around <laughs> with his friends. But... I, bet Dan's th- I bet Dan remembers the McDonald's birthday parties as well. Oh, yeah, no like, doubt. Unironically, I'm so sorry, Callum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> bet he remembers putting tapes in the car. I like the cigar. Do we have yeah. cigars? We should be having a cigar while we're on air. Unfortunately, health and safety prevents us from smoking in here. Who's health and safety? Uh, Tony Blair's. Stick it to the man. This I, is Lotus Eaters. My goodness. We've got to be very careful. This is why we can't <laughs> stick it to the man. We've got to imply that we're especially if the man is Blair. Goodness me. <laughs> anyway, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because uh, if you're a gold tier member, apparently you can send in uh, favorite things about Dan. So I don't know his his memory of the black and white TV or whatever else, and uh, and he'll come and check it out when he's back after after having too many McDonald's fries. Well, I suppose we shall begin. By the way, there's a loophole on the cigars thing. We'll talk about it afterwards. Oh, is there? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to do it when I plant my new church. Not okay, I'm going to have a cigar room. Well, what could possibly be the loophole? Ugh. You're not allowed to smoke. Like, What's an e-cigar? Well, you, can, you can smoke cigars indoors if you're a specialist tobacconist. To be a specialist tobacconist, you have to sell tobacco smoke, as in for your pipe or for cigars. Right. Okay. So if you have a few cigars that you sell, you can have a room dedicated to smoking them. <laughs> That's an interesting loophole, actually. That's the okay. best news I've heard. I'll, I'll, re- I'll remember that. <laughs> All right. Well, you might want to get a lawyer to go through it because I've only looked through it myself and I'm not yeah, yeah, a legal yeah, yeah. guy. But I will, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Cigars they sell. Little sign, one billion pounds per cigar. Yeah. Then no one buys them. Well, you could sell them. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you can actually just make some money out of it. I'd, I'd buy a Lotus Eater cigar on the way in and smoke one on the show. All right, well, there's so a new I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, Kelvin. Yeah, hi. What's happened? Oh, um, GB News is imploding. So for people who, it's great sadness. who might have missed it, you've been suspended. I was suspended and then I was fired. Lawrence, was, Lawrence Fox was suspended first 
Should we go all the way back? Yeah, I think let, let's go through the entire thing just so, so everyone's aware. On a Tuesday two weeks ago, I was sat in the green room because I was on Dan Wharton's show, Dan Wharton Tonight. I was in the green room um, with the other panelists listening to Lawrence Fox live on air saying uh, a few things about Ava Evans or Ava Santana, whatever her online name is. Um, who is this woman that denigrated men's mental health and kind of disregarded the idea that we need well-being too and that Suicide is the biggest killer of men in this country. And she's a massive misandrist. And he was talking about a conversation she'd had saying, we don't need a men's minister, even though we have a women's minister, because she's a massive feminist like that. She hates men. However, instead of debating her points, which he could have easily destroyed, he said he wouldn't shag her. Which he probably wouldn't, because who wants to shag a fourth wave feminist is the point that he was making. Like, your opinions are so ugly, no one would have a romantic relationship. Right, right. It wasn't anything to do with how she looks or anything like that the womenist, feminists are getting all fed up about. But anyway, he Even got... That was, just for people who don't know, an obvious like smear tactic to oh, yeah. focus on that because she herself had made this claim about men many a time. Many times. He used her own language against her. Can you imagine a feminist calling men incels and unshaggable? Never. Exactly. Anyway, sorry. Can but I... what people don't know and what hasn't been reported yet is while I was in the green room with my fellow panelists, the lefty on the panel was sat there texting Ava in the moment, have you seen what Lawrence Fox has said? Because no one would have known. No one would have seen it. No one watches live television anymore. Um, so the whole thing kicked off because of a little snitch wanting to stir the pot. And this is why you shouldn't have these hard lefties on your shows. Forget the Ofcom. You know, it's, it's due impartiality you need. It's not balance, actually. But anyway, the lefty snitched. Um, it all kicked off backstage. Dan's stuck in a difficult position because he's like, I don't want to drop my friend in it, but also I need to say something and no one's giving me a script to say. And he was in the middle of an interview while all this is going off. So I felt so bad for him because Tom Bauer sat there talking to Dan and Dan's like this, talking to his producers. It's, it was all a mess. Anyway, Lawrence got suspended immediately. Dan then later got suspended too for not challenging him heavily enough on air. And then I put out a few tweets in support of them both and saying, you know, I wasn't bringing this station into disrepute. I was challenging us and saying, if we truly stand up for free speech, if that's what we believe in, we call ourselves the home of free speech, we have to defend free speech. Mm. And so I got suspended to too. Sorry? There's a way to salvage this. There is a way. And I, I believe in the mission of GB News. This is why I was there. And I want it to succeed for the right reasons. And I was disappointed that we weren't doing that. And so I got suspended because of that. And then Lawrence and I both got fired because we weren't on long-term contracts. Even though I've been there since before they launched, I was, I was freelance at the start. Dan Wharton's on a two-year contract. It's very difficult to get rid of him, which is why he hasn't yet been fired. But he will be fired. But none of this actually has anything to do with Ava What's-Her-Face. Yeah, because... Interesting. As in, this is the pretext. This is, it is the pretext. Because, yeah. I mean, the thing, I mean, for me and most people, I imagine, looking at that was, I don't care. Like, this whole situation, I couldn't give less of a toss about. But the people Someone who did offended. care are the people who already hated GB News. And you can't yeah. appease the people that hate you. It's feeding the crocodile, constantly trying to appease the woke mob. But So on the one side, GB News management want advertisements. They want to make money. And they need to make money. Hmm. And then every time me or Farage or Neil Oliver say something, the, the Hope Not Hate campaign and the Stop Funding Hate campaign try to put pressure on the advertisers. And, you know, there is a real business problem there. But on the other hand, if you say your station is about free speech and you want to offer a different perspective, you want to add some balance that the other stations don't meet, you've got to, you've got to try and find a way to do both. Otherwise, it's just going to become Channel 4. It's going to become another mainstream outlet, which is pointless. We have plenty of those already. 
I have to wonder when Fox News launch. I mean, they must have understood that there's a, a balance there if they want to fight in that sphere. Yeah, and they lost eventually. But they, they managed to at least make a, a position where it, they could make that case and then grow. They, well, they had Megyn Kelly, they had Tucker Carlson, but eventually they, they lost their path, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, sure, don't get me wrong. What's yeah. happening with that is, is not fun. But it's, I, it's an impossible business because Ofcom is always looming. Ofcom is always there putting pressure on these outlets. And you know, throughout COVID, we weren't allowed to talk about vaccines, lockdowns, masks. Uh, we're not allowed to say certain things about the climate, so-called crisis. Like we, the government propagandizes and tells the media through Ofcom what we're allowed to say. Hmm. So it, essentially, all, main, all broadcast media is controlled opposition. <clears throat> I mean, this is the thing I always try to get across to people, was just how unfree the UK really is. So, I mean, like Ofcom essentially takes its points from the government about what you can and cannot say, and then goes to a government quango. someone trying to set up an opposition uh, you know, media outlet, yeah. and then says, no, you have to play by our rules. Yeah. And in which case, well, then it's kind of impossible to be opposition in this country. Yeah. So I had, for example, a conversation about drag queens, drag queen story time. And I said it's inappropriate for adults to be dressed, scantily dressed as women, for men to be scantily dressed as women. It's sexualization. It's adult entertainment. Keep it away from children. The next week, I was forced to have a drag queen on my show, which I was actually fine with because I'm like, yeah, let me have a conversation with one. But they're like, for off-com balance, you have to have one on. It's like... How is that balance to who or what? I, I hate this. I hate this thing about balance because, okay, I'm a, I'm all for balance. When do we get someone from the right on Channel Four to debate their position? Because you never see it. But also, These not people, everything needs balance. Sure, but let's assume that it did. Right. Why is why is the rule never fairly applied? Of course. Why, why does ITV and Channel Four and whatever the BBC never have an actual right wing person to actually present the right wing position? I would love to. Yeah. See that. Well, look at Newsnight last yeah. week. Yeah. A whole panel of people agreeing. That too many people agree with each other on GB News. Like, there's no self awareness there at all. It's crazy. And, like, so this, it's so obviously just a method of protecting the current paradigm. I mean, when was Ofcom set up? Was it by Blair? I think it was under Blair, yeah. What a surprise. Because this is, this is the thing that everything seems to come back to. Yeah. Tony Blair set up a series of institutions to protect the paradigm that we are now trapped within. Yeah. And that's what we're pushing up against. We want to come out of Blairism. And every yeah. power structure is like, well, you're not allowed. No one's bold enough or brave enough or actually clever enough to do it. Yeah. And the Conservatives are just so unbelievably weak, which we'll talk about later. So, but what do you guys think was the true reason for this? Like, do you think I was genuinely fired for some tweets supporting my colleagues? Well, can we see the tweets? We got sure. the tweets to hand. I don't know if John can go and find them, but the, the, it seems unlikely because who cares? I mean, I, I don't know oh. how sensitive people are at GB News. But everyone else saw a bunch of Labour MPs making a fuss out of this. So clearly, it was put in a WhatsApp chat, and they were all told to do that. Oh, yeah. And in which case, you know, anyone with a brain shot can understand, this is clearly an attack on you, on the station. Yeah. Okay, we can carve off those people out of it, and neuter the station completely, and protect ourselves, you know, the system there, yeah. against people like you. And against people like you, Calvin. <laughs> people like you. But the you actual opposition. Cares. I'll tell you who cares. The viewers care. The viewers have been very supportive of me, Dan, and even Lawrence. Sure, but I mean, the management of GB News, I mean, they must understand that yeah. you're actually the opposition in this country. Right. And if they bend the knee, then what's the point? Like, this well, is entirely. literally just a waste of time. Yeah. But also, the other presenters must be currently living in a state of fear. Yes, right? yes. Because I, I can, I mean, I, we, we know lots of GB News presenters personally, and you're all very nice chaps, uh, you know, so far to our experience. But you can see that there are a bunch of them who we like very much who must very clearly be feeling that 
the sort of Damocles has just lowered itself slightly. Yeah. And some of them know that their time is coming. Yeah. And they're trying to bide their time. This was all on the cards. You know, I learned through Bloomberg a couple of weeks ago that they were planning to get rid of me, Lawrence, and Neil Oliver. They were going to take us off of broadcast media and push us onto a new online platform so they didn't have to skirt Ofcom. Um, And I I messaged my boss like, is this true? He's like, yeah, let's have a chat about it. Thank you for letting me learn through the papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I don't want to be. If I wanted to be online, I would have been online. Anyone can. That's the beauty of the internet. Yes, yes. So it all comes down to being afraid of Ofcom. But the crux of it for me is I did an article a few months ago breaking down what Enoch Powell said hmm. and what I agreed with. And that was it. That was the we, moment. We did a chat on the podcast. We did. That mocked my cards. Yeah. I, and th- th- this is why you, you said Neil Oliver, he's so obviously the next one to get the hatchet because I don't know how to describe it, really. He, he's the one. He's the, the people. His views on ethics and morals. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he yeah. raises the taboos. He's spoken about midazolam. He's spoken yeah. about vaccine uh, harm. He, he speaks articulately, articulately and honestly about genuine issues yeah. that the mainstream wants to skirt over. Yeah. That's, that's what it all comes down to. Because it's actually very easy to spot who the marked people are. It's because who's prepared to challenge the paradigm yeah. and in, in, in a decent and honest way. And Neil is honestly one of the best voices yes. in this sphere for that sort of thing. So it's just like, I, I love you, Neil, but I can tell that they're going to come for you. you know? Absolutely. I, I knew, I knew, you know, I could tell it would be, I, honestly, I thought Dan would be okay because, you know, Dan, Dan hadn't been that radical. On right. this. He's very sensible. He's political chat. sometimes, but he's also entertainment, you know, yeah. he's more mainstream than yeah. Neil and I. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, more center yeah. on a lot of things. So it's okay. Fair enough. But you know, this is just, I mean, what, what do you think comes next? Well, it's, it's a. Uh... Crunch time, really, for GB News. They have to now decide what they are and who they want to be. They hired a load of Sky News people, um, or both on screen and off screen. You know, their morning and daytime shows I've never watched because I'm not the audience for that. I can only watch the evenings and weekends anyway. And a lot of their viewers, a lot of the core, think the same as me. Hmm. So it depends. Are they going to stick with the the freedom fighters, the truth speakers, or are they going to go towards mainstream success and get big ad deals and just become Channel Four too? So I've got, um, I, I suppose what I'll do is um, present the steel man argument for GB News. Right? Okay. Um, and so if I was in charge of GB News, I might well say something like, well, what can you expect? We've got the government legis- like breathing down our necks, possibly going to legislate us out of existence with Ofcom. Uh, they could not only ruin us, but ruin the possibility in future of having any opposing position or opposition voiced in the public domain, right? So we have to be very careful. And so if anyone, hey, I'm, 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 I'm not saying I, I agree with this, right? But, no, 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 but this is what they could be saying, right? And so they're like, so we're going to have to get the, the most radical fringe off in order to maintain a path forward. Could we get the tweets back up of Calvert's tweets real quick? Yeah, I know. They, they weren't in, radical. No, but in, in any human way, never mind the context, because the context is obviously just you being like, well, yeah. I don't care. But no one from Ofcon called up any of the leadership at GB News and said, because of this, you need to uh, curtail this extremist or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This, this is entirely something they did do to themselves in your instance. Mm. I mean, I don't in, know if there's in, an in argument. Fact, it was your Dan particular and, instance I found most shocking, to be honest. Because, yeah. okay, fair enough. Lawrence Fox and Dan Wynn are sniggering that Lawrence wouldn't shag someone. Then. Your steel man makes some sense there, yeah. where Ofcom could get involved, but they're never going to get involved because of this. Well, they said to me, I'm bringing the station into disrepute, which is gross misconduct. But I would say in return, actually, they're the ones bringing the station into disrepute. I was standing up for the mission of the statement. But I, I, I don't see how 
I mean, the thing is as well, like I of course read your, your statement on this and it's not like you were swearing or screaming fire and thunder. It was a very calm, very reasonable thing. Say, look, this is the moral position that you purport to hold. And I do hold, and I think you need to stand by it. Yeah. And that should be well within the bounds of any legally regulated speech, even if we abandon the concept of free speech. Well, even if we go into, are you bringing me into disrepute? I've hired you, and and you're saying that you believe in my mission that I state, and you want me to uphold the mission I've stated publicly. Yeah. I don't think that's making me look bad. No. That, that's you standing with me, and then if I betray that, that's me making that, myself look bad. That's entirely right. correct. Yeah, that, that's what has brought the station into dispute. Because I mean, like, okay, well, if you had done something, if you were also on the podcast going, yeah, I wouldn't either, and ha ha ha, maybe. Right. But putting out a statement of opinion just in defense of their right to be able to speak freely, it's crazy. And so it obviously looks like, right, okay, Calvin was on a hit list. Calvin was on a list of people oh, yeah. who they knew was going to be a problem. And like you say, it's probably the Enoch Powell. Yeah. Um, it, that would have cost them an ad deal, I reckon, at the time. Yeah. That's a rumor that I've heard since. Yeah. But I mean, That's look the at game what they got into. Look at what happened. Yeah. Tuesday night just gone, the night that I'm usually on the panel. So me and Dan were both missing. The viewership went down to almost half. Right. So the viewers are making their voice heard. It's it's the management that's bringing this station into dis disrepute, not me or Dan. Same effect with Tucker Carlson and Fox. Yeah. Literally half the viewers tune in. You know, they're making they're they're digging their own grave. I they guess are. they get to get buried in it, don't they? One thing I don't get though is because, as you pointed out, like they, they got into this game to be that Did voice they, though? speech, at least on paper. That's what they're saying. So this is what I'm thinking. You now. think it was all a ruse? Well, look at the people behind the management. Go a step further. Follow the money. The biggest stakeholder of GB News right now is is bidding to buy the Daily Telegraph. To what end? If you own the center right state, the only center right TV station. If you own the only remaining center right newspaper, you own the center right voice in the UK. So this this chap would have influence over who is the next Conservative Party leader. Therefore, who is the next after the Labour government? Who is the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom? This is a lot of power and influence. Forget what Rupert Murdoch's done in the past. This seems to be a new attempt to take over the country. And who is that person? Uh, that would be Sir Paul, Sir Paul Marshall. Right. Okay. I don't know anything about him. Uh, I, I like him. We get on very well. He's a Christian man, um, as are most of the board, which is why I'm so surprised. Mm. The chairman of the board, Alan McCormick, also a Christian man, which is why the biggest uh, surprise for me that I found disheartening was that since I've left, I've learned that a senior member of management uh, allegedly sexual har sexually harassed a former colleague of mine, which is why she left. I didn't know that's why she left. And if, she, if I did know, I would have left immediately. Um, and it seems that they paid her off with five figures, which the reason I find that disheartening is because the board would have had to sign off on that. You can't just, no one could just give out five yeah. figures like that. So these Christian members on the board have signed off on paying off someone who was sexually harassed by the same chap who's coming out to say what Dan, what Lawrence Fox said was beyond the pale. What he said was beyond the pale. What about what you did? Yeah. This is something I've never really understood because you, you go and meet rich people. And you get rich people of both political persuasions. And the ones who are right-leaning, I mean, like you say, this guy's a Christian guy. If I was him, and I'm positioning myself to try and control the right or have that kind of power and influence, which, you know, who wouldn't if you could? Why wouldn't I intervene to save people like you and then get rid of people like that management who did such a thing? It's a good, good point. Um, different people have different theories. The, the original theory is that they brought all the dissidents together to control us. But actually, we're more damn, we're more harm to them than, than good. So they've 
cast us aside. I don't know. It's just, it's just too hard to tell. But it, I mean, I always said GB News is not controlled opposition. It isn't controlled opposition. It didn't look like We're offering an alternative perspective, but it looks like it is now controlled. It literally is controlled. And that's a shame because I need it to succeed. We all need it to succeed. Without a, a voice in the mainstream media that is different to all the others, Who's going to speak for us? I mean, do you remember? I remember when it launched, and there was such this energy as well of everyone on the right being so happy. Yeah, but yeah. Frankly, like there was not a single person who was like, oh, "I want GB News to absolutely fail because it's controlled." Blah blah blah. Like, everyone was just like, "No, this is a great idea. If they can make this work, this can properly bring the opposition back into having influence in the UK and be a, a normal country again that does have two sides at least." And it, has, really it has done some things, like raising the Rotherham scandal, for example that documentary that Charlie Peters did, fantastic. And we've constantly banged on about immigration, so we're having some influence there. We have done some things, but then with controlled opposition, you would have some influence, wouldn't you? That's the whole purpose, yeah. to make it seem like it's not controlled. But then you would also think, if you're in the management, I mean, even to, I kind of hate the, the controlled opposition uh, wording because it, it gets a bit conspiratorial sometimes, but I, I get what you mean, and there's definitely some element there now. But I remember, you, let's say you're at the management, you're in the leadership, and you can see that there's this huge section of the public, huge section of activists, and a huge section of commentators who are all wishing you well, helping you, doing anything they can, you know, giving their careers to you to come and help. Why not make that work? Yeah. I mean, there's loads of money in that. If not, if you can make it work, even if you're just someone who cares about money. Right. But if you care about influence and power and changing the culture for the better, and yeah. I don't know, maybe my kids should have a better life than me. Well, you have a different business model, don't you? If the advertisement model isn't working because they're all woke and they're being pressured, more ways to get make a money than that. You guys have got a different model, for example. Mm. Have a paywall. Do something else. Sell products. Yeah. You could literally have products sold on GB News. Yeah. People would pay so much for those GB News mugs. Right. Right. Like they would. And like any, like literally, you can have literally anything being sold. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how myopic the the view of what can be done with gb news is yeah. and that's the thing Call, callum's exactly right right we i mean obviously we've been firm supporters of gb news since day one because yeah. we want a television station that's promoting this world view you yeah. know the, our world view and so like we we view we've always viewed and, and, and not like you say ev- almost everyone on the right was just like yeah okay brilliant mm-hmm. you know something that's not going to be just leftism yeah you know that was and, and that's how desperate things are in this country and that's why they hate us when we've got Adam Bolton yeah. talking about the broadcast ecology, as in like step outside yeah. of the reams of what yeah, yeah, we yeah, always, yeah. always talk about, then you're beyond the pale. Yeah. Like, what is this pale they keep talking about that we're always beyond? That's yeah. what I want to know. And why, why do we have to agree to their terms? Yeah. You know, what, what, some divine writ has been handed down by Tony Saint Blair. Blair, yeah. <laughs> and, and now you're not allowed to challenge that. It's, it's yeah. disgusting. I mean, we'll get onto it later, but I mean, th- when you look at the opposition, uh, media versus the state one. I mean, the reason everyone was so united, you rightly say, is because everyone's so sick of them. Yeah. I mean, the, the things you get out of that ecology that he's talking about, it's awful. It's unwatchable. Yeah. There's a reason nobody watches the TV, and it's I not on, because um, of the technology shit. I went on Sly News this week. I invited them into my sitting room. They've got the cameras up and everything. They're in my home, and they're just insulting. They're rude. Yeah. This Sky News presenter wanted to bang on about what Lawrence said, and I said, there's a wider thing here this is this is about men's mental health can we talk about that constantly talked over me constantly shut me down wanted to basically lump me in with lawrence and call us both misogynists i'm like do you not care about what's going on here finding the facts of the situation talking about the current events no it's all about painting the right out as bad guys Hmm. there's an agenda there always the the thing that really drives me crazy though is someone like lbc 
will never get the same kind of scrutiny as GB News. I mean, they, I've seen them constantly going on. Oh my God, conservative MPs are getting their own shows on GB News. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Have you, have what you, happened to everyone on LBC? What yeah, happened to Nigel Farage? But, what happened to Katie Hopkins? But yeah. Not even that. Okay, well, are we going to talk about David Lammy? <laughs> Like in his show on LBC, <laughs> like you, yeah, there are loads of Labour MPs who are, have shows on LBC. Shut up, you know, just stop with this. I mean, I know this, there's no point observing the hypocrisy of the left. Right? Yep. It's just but this is how rigged our country is. I, exactly, but it's for it's for the people who are watching. Going, look, they don't care about this. No. They don't care about this at all. They're not in any. I mean, like I can't. When was the last? In fact, I can I can remember right. I think it was 2018 when I was invited to be a, a sort of phone guest on LBC on Nick Ferrari's show because Tommy Robinson had just been deplatformed. Uh, yes. And the, the, the chap who had orchestrated it was like, yeah, this is good because Tommy Robinson was calling for people's heads. And I was like, okay, well, where's the evidence of that? And that's all I was saying, just where's the evidence of that? And they freaked out and that was the last time I was ever asked. Yeah, and that's all I said. In their eyes, that's you also calling for people's heads. Yeah, that's how they think. I, I assume so. I was, you know, because I don't think that he did this. And I was just like, he introduced hey, said, what's the tweet? And, he, and then the guy who claimed it, was like, well, Nick, there's no single tweet. No, no, that was later on uh, Finnish TV, I think it was. Uh, but, um, but like, no, Mohammed did also say that on oh, the phone call. Did he say that on yeah. the phone call, did he? Yeah. Right, okay. Because I was, you know, I said, look, if there was a single post where he was calling for people's heads, well, we'd see it. It'd be everywhere. Why can't we find it? And of course, because it didn't exist. It didn't happen. This was all a lie. And that was the closest I have ever come to being an opposition yeah. on LBC. And that was just five years ago. You know, what do you ever see now on LBC? And like you say, they got rid of all of their right-wing commentators. So the Ofcom's totally ignored all of this. They don't care. They're just regulating GB News because of what GB News purportedly represents. Well, I wanted to get Tommy on the show. Well, of course. Is, uh, did the, oh, that's a question we must ask, I suppose. Is there a blacklist? Of course there is. And I'm on it. There's a, there's, a literal, <laughs> there's a literal blacklist and a metaphorical blacklist. And you're right, you are on it. I tried I to get you on the show so many I times. And uh, my, man, my direct line manager said no. Yeah. And I'm like, but why? He's relevant to the conversation. People like him. Why can't I just get him on to talk about this? I'm like, no, he's, he's, he's a bit you know, beyond our, again, the pale. Yeah. I really want to see a definition of what this pale is. Yeah, me too. But I thought, Tommy Robinson, I disagree with him on loads of stuff. But I also agree with him on some stuff. And I want to find out where that balance is, but also why he takes the approach he takes. He's had a massive influence in this country in lots of ways. Let's have a conversation. Let's sit down. And I didn't get very far. I remember Lawrence Fox asked to have him on as well. And I happened to be in Lawrence's kitchen when uh, the head of TV was on the phone, ranting and blazing down the phone. You cannot have that man on our show. Um, I actually got permission to get Katie Hopkins on though, from oh, yeah. the CEO. Oh, yeah. And it still got blocked by all the managers and producers between us. And so, I'm like, if the CEO says yes, how can this not happen? Mm. Who are these managers? As in, where have they come from? Sky News. Not all of them. No. One's from the Express. Uh, one is from Good Morning Britain. Wow, okay. So you're hiding <laughs> with the, the company. Fair, a lot of people. They've had Tommy on, though. Who has? Good, Good Morning Britain. Britain. Yes. But the, the guy, that the producer who let Tommy go on GB said it's the greatest regret of his career. And I watched the clip, and it was fine. Yeah, it was a good clip. It, it was a good clip. One of the things that I find fascinating about Tommy is just that they haven't got an actual quote from him that they can throw out. Like there's no actual line where Tommy has said something right. atrocious. It's just he represents a kind of scary working class energy oh, yeah. that they don't like. That's it right there. You put the finger on it right yeah, there. Yeah. It is the working class that they hate. Yeah. They sneer at us. Totally. It's the metropolitan liberal elite looking down their noses at everyone that's not them. Yeah, absolutely. And you, the, you hear that phrase so much, but when you can actually point to the human beings. Yeah. 
There's literally, they don't have a quote from Tommy. They've got nothing about, you know, that he, because, you know, he, he's not the most um, metropolitan of people. Right. But he, he don't, you know, okay, with me, I can say, they can say, well, you said this. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, maybe I did. But they can't do that with him. So what, why is he, so, you know, but it's literally just this class prejudice. Let's bring your points together. You said, who are these people? They, GB News hire a lot of people from, from Sky from the BBC and straight from university. These are liberals. They're already wet. They're woke. They don't believe in the mission of GB News. They just want a job. And most of them go back to the BBC and say, look, I managed to survive at GB News for six months. But the, And to link that to the blacklist, these woke people put Darren Grimes on the blacklist. <laughs> 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 don't get me wrong. I didn't end up hiring him. Yeah. yeah. L- L- he was still a contributor. I really like Darren. He's block. a really nice chap. He is obviously a really nice chap. Yeah. Don't think he deserves to be on the blacklist. No. He couldn't get on any shows, and we found out he was on a list, and we found out who put him on, and it was one of these liberal producers. Because I moaned to the people above, I moaned to our managers, like, why can Darren not get on any shows? He, the only show he went on was mine, because I pushed it through. Yeah. Like, why is he not getting invited? He has a contract saying he should be on three times a week. Why is he not on any shows? Yeah. It's because these work producers. That, that seems to be the real structural failure um, in, with, with all institutions like this, in my opinion, is that it's the human beings you hire. And if you've got a, a system that's set up of people who hate you and then you hire from those institutions that hate you yeah. you're setting yourself up for failure I mean if you have to you have to but then you should be trying to weed those people out over time as fast as possible but I, new people in. I sat down with the CEO multiple times and said, said this exact thing like we need to hire people with our ideology people who believe in the mission of GB News and believe in free speech want you to make money and that <laughs> Um, let's do that and train them up. Let's give them skill. I mean, the editing is not that difficult and the, the yeah. camera buttons, it's not that difficult, right? Let's, let's train them on how to, in fact, let's set up an apprenticeship scheme and mm-hmm. then we can get people directly from school. We don't need people from university. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's great, that's great. Nothing ever happens. And they just keep hiring these woke people who want to destroy us from within. Yeah. A lot of them there literally hate me, Lawrence, Neil Oliver, hate us. Yeah. Not just disagree with us. They can't stand our very being. We walk <laughs> into that bunk in that basement yeah. and you can feel the negative vibe. It's awful. Yeah. And then the thing is, you know that these people, when they go out with their their, their fellow woke friends, they go to the pub. Pub. They'll they'll tell stories like, yeah. So uh, there was a a slight uh, audio glitch on Lawrence Fox's show today. I was did, I did that. Did my part oh, for yeah. the cause, yeah. you know. And they were like, oh, good for you. Maybe next time you can get the camera to cut off for a few seconds or something like that. You oh, know? Yeah. And I don't doubt that that's exactly the kind of conversations they're having. Hundred percent. Terrible. But then is this incompetence? From the managerial perspective, or is this part of the design? I don't know. I'm gonna be charitable and say it's incompetence. Okay. Right? Because I'm a, a nice charitable guy. The eternal optimist. Yeah. I just asked the question. I'm not passing judgment. But I, I, I suppose we'll end it off with just so I mean, what's the future of GB News in your mind? Will they take some kind of advice to try and reform themselves to actually make themselves more money and be better or just become channel the, four? The board has to step up. These Christians on the board have to step up and say, actually, these are the principles we stand by. They need to fire the management, hire some new management. Who's mistakes gonna, have been made. Yeah, yeah, mistakes have been made that start from scratch. And this, we still believe in our founding principles and hire people who are going to push those forward. Stop hiring woke people that, yes, they've worked in TV for 15 years. They know how TV works, but that doesn't matter. We're not trying to do what TV has been like for the last 15 years. Yeah. Our purpose is to do something different. And th- this, we ironically, had, is how Fox News succeeded. Because yes. when Fox News started, I think it was in the 70s, everyone was like, you can't start a right-wing TV station. It's going to fail. Yeah. And obviously, Fox News was literally the only right-wing TV station. People want it. Because there's a huge appetite for it. So it's crazy how they're not following the same path. One of the heads of TV, who's no longer there, came to me when she first got there. She's like, Calvin, first thing, we need to change the name of your show. This common sense crusade doesn't work. It needs to be Calvin Robinson Show. And I'm like, 
I'm not Piers Morgan, calm down. No, but also that's just vain. That's pride. That's sin. I don't want any of that. Those temptations. Thank you very much. It's not about me. It's about the mission, the crusade that I feel I'm on. Also, I want the word crusade on there. It's yeah. sound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> crusade. We need to say it more and more. You know? your, your graphics are ugly. We need to get rid of them. I'm like, they're the best graphics on the show, on the channel. Um, you can't, I got banned from wearing my cassock. So you yeah. may have noticed I started wearing my clerical suit instead as a compromise. But even that, they wanted me to get, get it off, you know, put a shoot, certain shoot, suit and tie on, which I'm, I happen to be wearing today. But, you know, that should be my choice of what I wear. Sure. And I am a cleric. That, that was your brand and your image as But well. I'm a clock in Holy Orders. It's yeah. my day-to-day -day uniform. Most of the time, that's what I wear. But like when people would look to GB News, one of the things I want to see is more British things. And one of those yes. is a clock in his uniform. Right. Amen. Yeah. So. But yes, the, the cassock got banned. This is all like chipping away. These liberals chipping away at what we're supposed to be doing. So I suppose uh, we'll end it off with uh, where are you at? And um, do you have any plans? I am now jobless. And I put this... Uh, this give, send, go up so that I wasn't also homeless. Um, so I can, you know, they cut me off instantly. No, no, yeah. no pay or anything. So I'm, I now have a roof over my head, but I have no plans. Okay. I'm trying to look for the doors that God opens to me and walk through them. So I'm not setting career ambitions and goals. I'm just, I'm off to the States for a couple of weeks. I'm going to chill out. It was already pre-planned. And then when I come back, I'll focus on what to do going forward. Fair enough. All right. All I right. suppose we'll, uh, we'll move to the LBC people I wanted to talk about because it weirdly dovetails. So I want to talk about the fact that we really have nothing in common with a certain group of people. Um, I'm going to phrase this. That, as, that sounds conspiratorial or racist. I literally, <laughs> I'm going to give you their names and those, faces. Those <laughs> well, and it's geographic location that really is the issue here. Isn't yeah, it? it really is. It's, it's London. And I, this is a divide I've talked about endlessly and probably annoyingly at this point. The real problem in the Anglosphere, as I see it, you look at the voting patterns, you look at the types of people who make content from different areas or whatever, and where they go to make their you know, cringe compilations, the cities. The oh, yeah. cities are where the problem seems to be. Right. Yeah. And I think London is our big one, and in a big, big way. And I think I'm going to demonstrate to you just how little in common we have with some people who are the elite there, and of course, perpetuate the, the opinions that a normie living there will just pick up by living there. Yeah. So... I'll begin with just promoting something on LotusSeries.com, being the cyberpunk dystopia we did before. This being the I have no mouth and I'm a scream special. Because um, I feel like that sometimes. We are going to do another one of these next week. I've actually got two uh, planned, but we've just not had the time, really. So uh, we'll, we'll do another one next week. We'll do. But I saw this video. I, I love and hate doing these. Because like, I hate the future and it's turning me into a total Luddite. I can just, tell. Just so you know. But Lauren made this video yesterday. She produced it. The Canadian dream is dead. And this is um, quite good because it's interesting to see the Canadians are going through exactly what we did sort of 26 years ago. Mm -hmm. the, the borders have been massively opened and the specific uh, instance they have is mass migration from India, which has led to some recent fallout, which I won't go into. Mm -hmm. But the biggest problem being not enough housing. And so the left and the right have united to say, okay, the solution to that is just build more homes. At least in Canada, that makes sense. Right? Could, At least in Canada, you've got probably the most underpopulated landmass per square mile in all of the world. But if you literally are just going to, well, change the population of Canada to be 50% Indian. Sure. Right? I'm not saying it's wise, but at least it, you there's can see... There's some more side effects to just picking... Uh, of course there are, but, but at least you can see the, the theory behind it from sort of the managerial perspective. It's like, look, we've got this giant empty wilderness. I mean, there could be some people in it. Sure. The but, problem is culture, though, isn't it? Do, do they have the same argument that we have, that people say, well, there is no English culture, so how well, can Doubtless, we doubtless. Right. They're part of the Anglosphere, so they've all got the curse. 
And um, so she just goes through a whole bunch of stories. I mean, some of them are rather funny where they have got Indians who have come over and they've been there for 10 years or something. Because um, I was in Canada recently and you notice the people who were there were all Indian. Thick, thick accents. It's like, you guys really came here recently. And then you meet the occasional guy who's been there for 10 years and they can't stand the situation because the change in the law has just made them furious for the, the you know what they went through. But also their lives are being destroyed. A bunch of them, she mentions, are going back to India because they can work remote and guess what? My quality of life is now tenfold more. So makes sense. And we've been through this with the ethnic data around the country as well. You know, similar situation where you can look at, especially in the cities, the divides there. But it's uh, something that is not new. Massive. Can we, can we just scroll down a little bit on this? Because the, the the no 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 uh, sc- yeah. So London. Because yeah, because like the wow. this is what I the mean. The darker blue are the m- majority English places. I'm in Brent. Can you show Brent northwest? Uh, that one. Oof. In fact, I, I don't know if you've seen, I did scroll in a while back and I was able to find a couple of constituencies that has... My church is in Holston. There's Holston. There you are. Yeah. 17.6% English. Yeah, Alberton or something. There's a few constituencies around here, a few neighborhoods. So literally 0.0 on this uh, metric here. But anyway, my point being, massive ethnic difference between city and the rural. In every other place on earth has led to a massive divide in ideology and usually a national border. Yep. And, well, I'm not saying that's going to happen immediately, but it certainly seems to be that there's two different people groups. Yeah. And it's not just talking about race here, of course, or ethnicity. It's also talking about the ideological parts of yeah, yeah. living in a city versus being outside. I mean, Hong Kong, China comes to mind in my mind, where it's like you've got two people groups here who are ethnically very, very similar. North and South Korea. Yeah. Uh, but Hong in- Kong, China is different because Hong Kong is British. Sure. And that's my point. Like You've got an ethnic change there yeah. and there's a national border. But what we have seems to be even more extreme than the difference between Hong Kong and China at this point, in my mind, especially since the CCP has now basically taken it, but a whole other conversation. Yeah. And it's why it's such a problem for the CCP to reintegrate it as they see it. And uh, it feels right to use Hong Kong because, I mean, we have some of the mirror images <laughs> here. This is a lady complaining about Suella Braveman giving a speech that's now become known as the hurricane speech oh, of migration. Wait, let, lest we forget that British did not learn the language of those countries we settled and occupied in. Yeah, of course it was an empire. <laughs> but also, that's a justification for what exactly? And but, also, we were quite often invited to those countries. But let's as assume worst case scenario, yes, we walked in with an army, we conquered it, and they imposed our language. That's totally true. And I agree, that should be left in the 19th century, right? No. So why is it that now there are foreign people here imposing their language on us, Tessa? The, the problem is it shouldn't be left in the 19th century. The problem is well, well, we've become so soft. Look at Afghanistan. We should have said this is now a territory of the British Empire, sure. and we will build it up. We'll make it strong again. Instead, we're like, oh, we'll help you, but not help you. We'll be here, but we're not here. It's like, and we've left it, and we've given them weapons, and it's all a mess. But from, but from her own perspective, if she's claiming to be an implied that it's anti-imperialism, then why is it foreign languages popping up in Britain is not viewed in the same way? I mean, you're both clearly right. I mean, if you actually wanted to help Afghanistan, that is actually the solution of something yeah, sure. there. Yeah. It's uh, stupid what the Americans did instead. But conversely, if you're against the idea of uh, imperialism and you think that peoples deserve their own borders and nations, then and they should be holistically what they are, then, let's protect ours. then why do we have foreign languages springing up in London? Right? But to have things so separate as well, like it's it, just because it's all in the same country doesn't really matter. It's not really an argument. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. The Austro-Hungarian Empire is a great example of why you know, we well, shouldn't go to Eastern Europe. Why it's still a strong and stable country, as Theresa <laughs> May would say. 
Anyway, but the thing I want to talk about is this and the LBC host. Now, LBC, my, my favorite LGB, uh, LBC host. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the time, Tim without purpose. Yeah. Uh, well, so this is uh, Sanjita. We've gone over her previously because she's somewhat of a living meme herself. Right. Um, there's a series of tweets from her where she keeps arguing about her being British, and then the other day she'd be like, "No, no, I'm Indian." Yeah. So, um, so you Indian British? No, 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 I'm Indian. Okay, so you're not British then? No, I'm British. Whole other. There, there are many, many such cases. Like <laughs> Sarkar being like, "F off, I'm not British." Yeah. But she decides British. to respond to Suella Braveman's uh, speech, and so I think the speech. I don't think it will affect anything. I don't think the level of migration will change after this. It'll be forgotten. But the name will be remembered, the hurricane speech yeah. or something like that. And she says here that Swell Braveman is dangerous to say rapid cultural change would dilute what already is here. That's a literal fact. <laughs> <laughs> like, how could it not? Change will dilute what it I mean, <laughs> I mean I, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it's dangerous to say what actually happens yeah. when things happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, she's here being sincere as well. This is a long yeah. monologue where she's just repeating herself. I'll play some of it just so we can uh, have a listen, I suppose. The question to you is this. The Home Secretary, a child of immigrants, says multiculturalism has failed and that British culture is being diluted, a phrase used by the far right. Ooh. Given words matter, what impact is Suella Braverman's rhetoric having on our country, the fabric of our communities? Lines, as I say, are open now. Call 0345 Distraught she is. Lesser, I know. It's I the whole thing. She actually, she's disturbed by it. Yeah. I love this argument just between two Indian ladies over the future of Britain. <laughs> like, like two Indian ladies argue about the far right and the dilution of British culture. I'm like, is the, do we get to have a voice in our own dialogue? But I love how the debate is doubly funny because you've got Suella who's there is like, well, actually, I, I came here with my family because we quite like British culture and we'd like <laughs> to, you know, have something that we could integrate into. Mm, far right. <laughs> I, and Sanjita over here is like. No, replace it so even if we did bring more Indians, there would be no Britain for them to integrate no. into. Yeah. I mean, take that neighborhood I spoke of that's 0.0% uh, British according to the data. Yeah. If you turned up as an immigrant there, I don't know how you'd become British if you stayed there a thousand years. But, I mean, you literally couldn't. There's, there's nothing how there. How would it happen? I like Carl's point, though, because the left are keen on this stuff. Like, you can't talk about abortion, you're not a woman. You can't talk about this because you're not gay. Like, yes. But you can talk about Britain as long as you're not British. Yes. How does that work? Very interesting, isn't it? Representation matters until it comes to your representation. Yeah. And Suella doesn't get described as British. She gets described as a daughter of immigrants. Yes. You notice that? Yeah, exactly. They, exactly. Othering her straight away. Yeah, exactly. And not just othering her, but claiming her as well. Yes. Because right? yes. they're, they're saying, look, so when she says our culture, our constituency, okay, yeah, which, but that doesn't include me. Us. doesn't include you. doesn't include you. And we don't get a voice in this conversation. And they're the people who are like at the height and the, the top of the society purportedly legislating for the rest of it. And it's like, okay, so in what way don't we feel like we're occupied by some kind of international empire? You know, it's putting up the foreign languages, it's speaking in our name without having any representation for us. So why should we not feel dispossessed? And the fascist tool of saying, oh, these are phrases used by the far right. So we can't use those words. Therefore, we can't have the conversation. Yeah. This is a concept that is completely exiled from your thought process. Mm. I mean, that's just a, a stunning endorsement of the far right from Sanjeev. <laughs> Where is this far right I keep hearing about? Yeah. It's hard to meet them. They only come in your dreams, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, but here's, um, she's not the oh, only one. My favorite gammon, James <laughs> O'Brien. James O'Brien obviously had to say something. We'll just play the start of this to begin with, because it's amazing. It is 
politically very effective to be a massive racist. Anybody? <laughs> Another stunning endorsement. <laughs> and a weird opening. Who would know? <laughs> he then goes on to talk for ages, which I'm going to, I mean, even people skipped. You could see how the most rewatched parts are later on. Because <laughs> people couldn't be bothered. He just is like deeply confused for ages. Yeah. I think it's James O'Brien. He's a professional obtuse, isn't he? He's not confused at all. Yeah. He a well, he sits around being like, I don't understand it, which is obviously a lie. And then he goes on to do this thing continually where he just keeps asking, well, isn't she the daughter of immigrants? About five times he asks it throughout this clip. But. That's right, James. She's not British because she's the daughter of immigrants. Says the left winger, definitely not the far right position, yep, yep. that the immigrants aren't British, James. You keep saying it. I've said it many times. The left are the real racists. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, come on, they just admit it. But I'll, I'll play this bit here because you can get a sense of uh, his response as well. Jewish husband in a government headed by Britain's first Hindu prime minister. What would successful multiculturalism look like? And Satnam Sankira, his colleague at the Times and, and the author of Empireland, goes a little further. He says it was only a matter of time before one of the brown Tories vying for leadership claimed that multiculturalism has <laughs> failed. This is not related to any kind of reality. It's about campaigning to be leader, making the parties mostly white, often extremely right-wing members feel like it's okay to spout this nonsense. I mean, he's um, just saying the browns are... He doesn't brown use the word nonsense. He's a little more Anglo-Saxon in his expressions. So <laughs> th those are the facts. Those are the facts. You have, and I, I, I think this is a description we will return to in the course of the morning's program because it's powerful, right? It's resonant. Uh, a, a British Home Secretary descended from Goan Indians from Mauritius and Kenya married to a Jewish husband in a government headed by Britain's first Hindu Prime Minister, <laughs> himself the son of immigrants, says that multiculturalism has failed. What is she talking about? This is horrible. <laughs> Jesus stuff. Christ. This is really he just goes on to keep saying. Stuff. It's a nasty moment. I was trying to find what he called me recently. Uh, the cosplay vicar siding with the lad from Lewis who wasn't Lewis or the Megan fixated weirdo. So he's got a, an ad hominem attack for me, Dan, and Lawrence about the whole thing. It's lovely, isn't it? When, when people lose their jobs, the best thing to do is attack them on social media. I mean, to be is. fair, though, if you're not being attacked by James O'Brien, I think it's <laughs> sus. And, and that's how I would know you were controlled opposition. Yeah, yeah it's fair. But, yeah. but I, this is incredible, because I mean, he's he's literally carving out the the, the 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 British as literally being the white Anglo-Saxon or the Celt, right? That is and, actually his definition. Yeah, that is literally his definition. And he's saying, well, you know, you can't be British if you have <laughs> one drop. <laughs> she's even married to a Jew yeah exactly like, yeah, married okay, to James, Jew, not British. What's, what's the problem like, James I think those people can also be British I know I'm a real real leftist on this but like but he just keeps going funny. on and one of the things I love is he, he mentions what does real multicultural sorry successful multiculturalism look like except this and then he goes on to list yeah. you know this non-British person because of all these reasons is in charge with all these other non-British people who are also in charge because they've got one drop uh, therefore, that's successful multiculturalism, according to him. That's multi-ethnic. That's multiracial. It's not yes. multicultural. Exactly. Multicultural needs to have a predominant culture. Exactly. You can take on board elements from other cultures if you want to. I mean, but, but that's that's exactly what all of the um, the, the brown Tories, as James O'Brien describes them, are saying. We're culturally British. Yeah. Yes, racially, we may have you know genetics from elsewhere, yeah. but we grew up in Britain. We like this country. We want it to remain as this country is, and that means putting English up on signs and not putting Bangladeshi up on signs or whatever. You know, like it's really not a very difficult concept. 
except for racial purists like James O'Brien. I was in a cab the other day and they unfortunately had this station on. Oh, it riles up your blood pressure. But the, the chap who was talking was saying, there is no British culture. You know why I can tell that? Look at Cornwall, then look at London. They don't have the same culture, do they? Well, I guess London doesn't. You're right. <laughs> you got us there. Oh. But the, uh. the thing is, it would be very easy for the, the Tories to put across this sort of um, integrationist view. Because, I mean, like, historically, integration was done through intermarriage. And, of course, if you have zero English people in a part of England, there's no possibility for intermarriage. So you should say, well, look, this can't. this is a barrier to integration. This is a form of kind of neo-colonialism, actually, and we're against that sort of thing. We're for the immigrants who come here, integrating in society, making a positive contribution, and we would encourage them to marry English people, or Scottish people, or Welsh people, wherever they found themselves. And to make sure that that can happen, numbers just have to be limited. It's just the way it goes. It's totally straightforward. It's not in any way prejudicial. No one suffers. There's no harm done by any of this. Yeah, it's an you argument know, you th- could make. It's not one I would make, but you could make. Sure, it. but this, this, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm thinking from a very like wet conservative yeah. position, right? Like, yeah. you know, if I'm the middle of the conservative party and I'm basically a Blairite leftist, yeah. you could, like, Tony Blair could make this argument, you know, and the the Labour Party would go along with it because you're still getting what you want without being crazy and just opening floodgates and changing the demographics of the country in like five years. But they want to change the demographics of the country. There is always that. This is what I think James O'Brien's actually getting at when he yeah. argues that. Well, his version of successful multiculturalism, as I see, as he sees it, is replace as much as possible. Yes. I mean, I've said this before. I mean, it does seem like the uh, state position at this point to uh, the natives in the Anglosphere is literally just, could you die? Yeah, why Seems are to be you the here? goal. <laughs> what, like, what are you doing here? You're Joe right. Biden said it. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did indeed, actually. So there's that. And he's not the only one as well, along with Sanjita. There's this last one here. This has got to be the oh, best one. Oh gosh, we have to show her. Oh my god. <laughs> well, this is just freaking so, weird. I, I actually don't know who, have, said, who this um, is. It's awful. So Natasha Devon, is it? She just, yeah. Oh, I'm not familiar with this people constantly. And oh. what's the, the best thing about this that's amazing is she has some caller on who it just come to tell her like, hey, by the way, Mohammed's the most popular boy's name now. Yeah. And uh, I'm a bit worried that, hey, this could turn into a Muslim country within the turn of the century. Could and she responds, oh, the, but you the, won't be alive. Amazing. Nor will I. So again, I asked, what's the problem? Oh my God. A, how do you know? Technological innovations may change it. So actually, I live to 200, right? So you don't know that for <laughs> a start. Short termism. But even then, I have children. Thank you, Natasha. Yep. I would like them to live in England as well. Even if you don't, this, you love this country. Sure, exactly. Country, even, like, even if you don't, you know. Why would you not be invested in it? E- yeah, even if you don't, why don't you see yourself as the bearer of a chain of civilization yeah. in sort of Burkean fashion? Yes. You know, we, we hold this in trust for future generations as it was held in trust by past generations for us. Uh, I love this. Sounds like Natasha is happy for the country to be anti-LGBTQ by <laughs> child marriage. <laughs> but it's just, I don't know what you even say to someone who, you know, is, is supposed to have some kind of privileged position in society who has a platform and a uh, state. argue with the people like that. Yeah, when they say to you, what would be the problem if the UK became a Muslim country? What would be the problem if the UK became a fascist country? I, I mean, I don't know if she has the ability to think. Well, she would say it already is. Oh, quite possibly. Sure. But let's, let's assume the, we, can, but the we can agree is, that it's not. Like, you, you could just turn this around and say, well, what, what's wrong with becoming Nazi in 100 years' time? You won't be here, will you? What's the problem? But that's the thing. I think she probably, if you sat her down, could think in terms of normal things. Like, she could pick a cheese she likes. Or something like that, right? And if you asked her about, do you support fascism? I mean, instinctively, she'd probably say no. But of course, uh, maybe she can think about it and say no. Or, I, I disagree. I think she'd probably pick the cheese that people in Islington pick. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, NPC I'm, cheese eater. This is my slight optimism. I reckon she can pick cheese. But the <laughs> the point being, like, she 
sitting here and the, the, the blinkers are completely on when it comes to subjects like this. I mean, this is what I mean by we have nothing in common with these people. Yeah. They are not able to even have the slightest conversation about demographics, yeah. ethnicity, religion, nothing. None of the protected characteristics can even be touched in the slightest way. And the evidence of that is the fact that even when given the most extreme example, what if this country became a Muslim one, she can't think of anything that would change in her mind because she's not allowed to. The programming, yes, yes. not her speech. She doesn't know and then can't say. Yeah. She can't even think it. True. And I don't know what to do with these people. At that can't. Point. They're too late to educate. We need to educate the next generation to be able to think properly and critically. And we'll end this and off. To, and to love what they've got. Yeah, well. absolutely. Yes, to love what they've got. Yes. We'll end this off with probably something even more extreme than that. This chap here who just says that there's no such thing as the language of the UK. What? <laughs> 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 Never has been. If you go back to medieval England, I think there's no idea. <laughs> Goodness. So we don't even have, not have a culture. We don't have a language either. We've got nothing. What are we using to communicate, Oliver? Well, he uh, clearly lives in London. Let's check his bio. Uh, journalist, author. I, I, I think it will come up with a, a location, maybe. Oh, oh look, at that. look at that. Look at that. He's right. There is no language yeah. in London. It does just happen. Oh, I bet he's no, what's he been whining about, about you as well, oh, hasn't he? Oh, look at that. <laughs> what? Okay. Oh, that's fair enough. He's like, how dare you? How dare you point things out that are true? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, again, the, the memes are real, but what do you do with this person? This country does not have, nor has it ever had an official language. No, that, that's interesting. What do you mean by official? No, okay, that, that's interesting because, okay, so yeah, official language is a legal status yeah. for a particular language that legal documents have to be written in this language. Why do you have a legal now, status? Now, you have a legal status because it's been contested in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Because it has been un unclear. So there are lots of African countries that have English as their legal language. Right. Right? America has English as its legal language because uh, in like Barely. the 18th century... Yeah. I don't believe they do, actually. Oh, do they not? They never got around to it because they never needed to. Oh, right, okay. But there are countries... Sort of like us. <laughs> Like this issue. Uh, sorry, I thought America did. Uh, okay, fair enough. But not America then. But like, but that's the point. When a country has been kind of homogenous for centuries, there's never been a need to have a legal language. Uh, and so you don't have an official language. You just have the language. Which is de facto. Because yes. official just means the government. And what the government is saying when they make an official language is that, okay, there's people aren't learning a single language, so we have to publish two. Or we want you all to learn this one because that's what all the fines that we're going to send you are written in. Yeah. And you need to read that to pay them. And language actually has a purpose. Yeah. But no, apparently, literally but, nothing. We have no reason to argue that we should have a language. Apparently, you don't really have one. But that's the thing. Speaking he, grunts for this whole thing. He, he's not appealing to what is, right? The, obviously, everyone knows that the language of the United Kingdom is English and has been since the United Kingdom was created. Yeah. He's not appealing to what is. He's saying, well, what's written on the books in law, in the abstract? Right. And if that's oh, it should be, it's not in the abstract, then the notion that immigrants need to be pressured into learning English is preposterous. So, well, only if you want them to do well in the country. Right? Even what if it wasn't like, official, why would that notion be preposterous? It, ex well, exactly. Because of what he wants. And this is yes. what I mean by the ideological divide. Yes. How do, what does this person want when he says they shouldn't learn English? What does this person want when they say, I don't care if the country becomes entirely Muslim? Yeah. What does this person want when he says, I want the entire country to be turned into a multicultural success? And I define that as literally just removing the locals. Yeah. And what does this person want when she sits there in awe at someone saying that, well, just a basic fact, frankly, I think Sanjeet is a bit more of a special case. But what they want is for the whole country to just be replaced with a new one, the new Britain in which yes. nobody can understand each other because yeah. nobody speaks the same language. Uh, nobody has anything in common except that we live in this strip. Yeah. And it's like, right. Well, the, only, the only commonalities are the small cultural colonies that are deeply tied to the mother country. 
Because that's how James O'Brien is like, well, she's a this of this descent. You know, it's like, okay, no, that, that's the only commonality that you could have for the other people around you is that the the descent that you come from. It's literally because and the thing is, I grew up in an English colony in Germany, right, for a large part of my childhood, and so you become very aware that you're British and not German yeah, when you're there, even though, of course, racially, you know, like there's literally no difference. You know, we literally come from Northwest Germany, right? yeah. but you're very you're not German, and it's very evident right. Germans, you know. Because a thousand, two thousand years is a long time, and things change, and that's. But he's he's saying no. These these countries should essentially spread themselves to our land, and these people should never give up their prior heritage. But anyway, that's what I mean when I say we have nothing in common with these people. And uh, what do you even do with the cities at that point? Well, yeah, we destroy the cities. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I was making this case to him the other day. Yeah. Me- metaphorically, destroy the cities. Take over the cities, but metaphorically, we need to destroy the cities. Cities yes. are the problem. Ever since we've yep. had cities, we've had this issue. Oh, that's a fair point. Um, you heard my plan to liquidate some of it. So, you know, the remote working thing during COVID? Yeah. Godsend. Get people out of working in cities. Have them working at home in the countryside. Right. Just dilute the cities a little bit, even if we can't fully destroy it. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we move on? Darth Farage. Yeah, let's talk about Nigel Farage going mm. to the Conservative Party conference, because I found this interesting. And for the first time in a long time, it felt that there was some movement in British politics. The ground was shaking. And so something was changing. And so the tectonic plate was shifting. Oh, goodness me. A centrist I, dad got let in. Come on. Yes, actually. It's exactly <laughs> what happened. No. Uh, but this, but this, no, no, this was remarkable for many reasons and may indicate that there are something that will change in the long distant future. God only knows. Yeah. But look, I think it's worth yeah, talking about. Before yeah. we begin, Go and support us by signing up and watching my premium video on why liberalism is a universal asset. You can buy this if you don't want to sign up and uh, for £1.89 or $2.30 and understand why liberalism is applied without any kind of tradition or Christian conservatism uh, is going to dissolve everything that we have, and which is why we're watching everything around us become liquidated. Uh, I think it's genuinely important for people to have this understanding. Uh, as Nigel Farage arrives at the Conservative Party conference, because this, uh, if there's one thing you can say about Nigel Farage, is he's not an insane woke liberal. He's a man who likes this country and has worked his entire life to uh, make this country what ideally it should be, which is sovereign. And that you know, God, yes, yes. God, God, thanks for his your success in this regard. He right? put in a lot of work. Yeah, 25 years. Yeah. You know, and he took all the slings and arrows. You know, and, and UKIP around him, they all they all did the, the good work, yeah. the Lord's work, and we technically got what we wanted, right? So that's a start, right? It's a step in the right direction. It could have gone entirely differently. All of the forces that were arrayed against him wanted it to be entirely differently. But he came out with a win after this, even if it was kind of spoiled at the end by, of course, the Conservatives. So the weird thing is that Nigel Farage, 25 years ago, was a member of the Conservative Party, probably longer than that, actually. He was a member of the Conservative Party, left the Conservative Party, joined or formed UKIP, and then campaigned to get Brexit done. Yep. Uh, and so, of course, he's not welcome in the Conservative Party because he represents a quote-unquote radical uh, view of what conservatism could be, which is uh, forward-thinking, patriotic, and decent, uh, doing what the British public actually want. And we know the British public wants it because they voted for it. Uh, and so he was, of course, not the sort of person. He was kind of persona non grata, I understand. Uh, what is your crime? Well, I represented the British people. I like the country. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> and such the new true. ones or the old ones. Yeah. Well, yes. 
so anyway, Nigel Farage, uh, in his capacity as a journalist for GB News, was invited. Oh, so that's how he got in. Yes, but right. it's entirely in previous eras. Even if Nigel Farage had been like, "Hey, I'm a journalist now. Can I come?" They would have said no, right? Because of course, uh, you can. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Before we get to that, you can see just how popular they absolutely adore him. Yeah, how popular Nigel Farage is with the conservative base. Yep. Because the conservative base are obviously generally pro-Brexit, generally pro-traditional values and traditional Britishness. I mean, just look at him. He's obviously the superstar there. How many MPs were getting that kind of response? Oh, they don't. Because it's not just there either. Like I've said oh, this yeah, of course it's not. I wonder what you make of this title, to be honest, because I, I don't really know how to explain to him. So when I speak to Poros, I'm just like, yeah, he's the de facto leader of the opposition because no, no one cares about Keir Starmer. Oh, it's true. Yeah. So. And so, as you can see, everyone, and these are all the young people, in the Conservative Party. They're all like, oh my God, it's Nigel Farage. Like yeah. this. And he's one of the most consequential politicians of the last 50 years, even though he was never an MP. It's true. And it's like, okay, well, this is, in, this is interesting, isn't it? And, uh, and I, found, um, oh, gosh. I found this, which is um, a lot of people basically uh, being a bit concerned because they're like, hang on a second. Europe, because of proportional representation, is going a bit right wing. As in, one of the advantages of proportional representation uh, is that it allows a small number of MPs or politicians to be elected, but then they get a kind of small structure around them in the you know the spads and the the assistants attendants. But then they start getting media attention because, of course, they're elected politicians, yeah. and so they can start building a base from which to grow a political movement. Yeah. And so, actually, in a way, the uh, European liberals were right about proportional representation. It's pro-democracy. It, it actually is pro-democracy. It actually allows right-wing or dissident movements to challenge the power structures and actually build a power base of their own. And this is why they're going to ban the AFD because the AFD are going to take over Germany if yeah. they don't. Right? In Britain, we don't have that. In Britain, we have a very rigid two-party system with first-past-the-post, which uh, has been, I mean, Nigel Farage was butting up against this constantly with UKIP, getting 4 million votes and one MP and things like this, right? So it's it's very clear that this is something they're concerned about. And they're like, well, why, you know, what happens in a country where the political winds of the West are going towards the right and a country that doesn't have a right-wing party that is able to get into power, what happens? Well, like I said, you get Nigel Farage being the leader, de facto leader of that movement, arriving at the Tony Blair-esque Conservative Party conference yeah. like a rock star. And so you get the, uh, the centrist Blairite consensus. In fact, it might, it might be worth watching this, actually, or at least a part of this, because you can hear look, the look, fear look, in I their think... voice. They're very, very concerned about this. So this is Emily Mat Matliss' uh, podcast called The News Agents, which apparently lots of centrist Blairites watch. Sponsored by the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation. Yeah. In case you're wondering. Yeah. That's, that's how you know that they're... That, that's how you know that... They're they... not part of the state. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know they've got a genuinely objective view on the news. But let's watch this. Look, I think it's time we sort of called this what, what this is. And if you talk to some of the more um, previously, what you might say, moderate people here, moderate conservatives, cabinet ministers or whatever, they, they will talk in these terms. We've had, there's been a host, a sl there has been a slow burn, hostile takeover of the Conservative Party. And it started uh, uh -huh. probably in about 2013 to 2014. 
We spoke so much about the idea of a hostile takeover by the left of the Labour Party. The reason that stood out more is because there was a moment of realisation. It was the moment that Corbyn was elected within the Labour Party. What's happened with the Conservative Party is it has been done by increments, little by little, starting under Cameron, accelerating under May, Johnson and now Sunak. I just going to mention any of these people You see, on the I right. don't think you can call it a takeover because the doors have been opened by successive Conservative well, fine, leader but after still Conservative leader. I find it they have allowed this to happen because they thought that was their best way of staying in power. Whether it was David Cameron realising that he had to give the referendum to people, allowing him, he thought, more time to win that and stay in power, or everything that's yeah, happened subsequently. Indeed. But the point is, what I'm saying is, is that however the mechanism or the means that it's happened, it's happened. And that has profound consequences for British politics. And the difference is, I think one of the differences between the Labour Party and the Conservative Party is that the Labour Party, that the right of the, cons- of the Labour Party fought it. They fought it and they were very good at it because they've had experience in it before. The right of the Labour Party always fights. Arguably, actually, they were much harder than the left were. If the left had had the sort of toughness and the steel that the right of the Labour Party had, they'd still be in charge now. The difference is, and I was talking to a a Conservative minister about this yesterday, the difference is that what you might say is that the left of the Conservative Party, frankly, has less guts and is a bit more like the soft left of the Labour Party. As you say, they appease, they give a little bit more, and they give a little bit more, and if we just give them this, they'll go away and we can reach a happy accommodation. Mm. It's never happened, it's not going to happen, and you end up in the situation that they're in now where basically it is Farage's party now. And in a sense as well, we should say, that is a trend which is mirrored across Europe, right? We've seen the sort of Farageist-type parties either take over or displace the more mainstream Conservative Party. That is what we see at this conference all around us. Well, that's good news, isn't it? It would be if any of that was true. I yeah. know, right? I don't think a single word <laughs> of what you said was true. began with David Cameron. What? <laughs> These people need to define what they mean by far right. You know what's really cringe is this is the most listened to po- uh, political podcast in all of the UK. Really? Because it's sponsored by Global. Oh, it's yeah. got so much corporate money behind it. There are billboards all over London for it because of that reason. I so, can name the number of right-wing MPs in the Conservative Party on one hand. Of course you can. It's, this is just stupid. And you're probably being generous when you do it. Right. right? So, but, the, but I think the, the important thing to remember about the terms left and right is there are perspective yeah. terms, right? So if you're as far left as these people are, then any, e- even Nigel Farage, who I think is actually quite a moderate yeah, center-right figure, yeah. uh, seems like Mussolini, right? There's a reason they call them Farages. Yes. Next to Falanges, some of that. Right. So it, it, it's okay. Let's, uh, let's take that perspective. But it's interesting that that's how they feel about this. And then when we compare this to Farage's response as merely a journalist going to the Conservative Party conference, he is the rock star there. There is not a single Conservative politician, as Boris was obviously absent, uh, not a conser- single Conservative politician who has any kind of pull like Farage. And if they're saying, well, this is Farage's party now, Okay. God, if, if only. Like, like, God, please, look, I've never prayed before really? as an atheist. Please let it become Farage's party. Okay, let me, let me be um, a bit of concern in there. Um, Go ahead. First of all, caveats, Nigel Farage has done wonders for the country in terms of Brexit. He's worked really hard. However, he only cares about one issue. I haven't seen him fight on many cultural issues at all. And if he is working on part of the controlled opposition, if he is becoming an establishment figure, whilst the, the biggest financial backer of GB News is, is bidding to take over the Daily Telegraph as well, so they'll own the centre-right. At the same time, they're pushing 
their most prominent centre-right politician into the Conservative Party. It seems to me this is not Farage's party at all. This is someone else. There's a puppet master here at play trying to take over the country. It's entirely possible. I think it comes down to a battle of wills. So I have seen Farage um, speak in, in prior eras of all of the things we're concerned about. I mean, he did appear in front of that billboard with the, the migrants just w- marching in, being like, are we really going to have this? Yeah, but he only ever speaks about immigration. Sure, but he also... He has Which spoken, is important, but... He has spoken about wokeism in universities. He has spoken about free speech with Lawrence Fox. He retweeted Lawrence Fox, being like, this is very concerning. So I, I think that Farage's political instincts are broadly aligned with us. Sure. I, I don't see anything objectionable. And I think... The question is, how much will would Farage have? Now, I mean, one could look at his dogged determination towards Brexit and say, well, he's clearly a man who can be committed when he wants to be. Like, 25 years is a lot of time to take out of your life as a businessman to campaign on an issue you clearly have sincere beliefs on. Um, And so, okay, I'm actually... No, the will is there. He is is disappointed that he didn't get putting the House of Lords when, I am. when he stood all of us down. Yeah. The election. Biggest mistake of his life. I biggest am. mistake of the, in the country, if you ask me. Yeah. Brexit party had a lot of momentum and power at that yeah. time. The Conservatives took, should have taken them in. Took me a long time to forgive him for that. However, he, he's annoyed that he didn't get in the Lords and now he wants to become part of the establishment. This is his way in. Yeah. So the, the question is about... So he these, has the will. So that, that's the question. So does it, the, the question is what can be done to the establishment? So can the establishment summon the will to resist Nigel Farage? And actually, I'm not sure that they can. Nigel Farage and Joris Johnson together. Boris Johnson together. <laughs> well, Boris, I think, is just a, a wet who. It doesn't matter. They both care about being in a, in the establishment. They both care about their own career, political careers enough to have the will to combine. And with those two figures, people love both of them so much. They absolutely do. They would take over. They they would. And but the question is, would Farage have an agenda that he would implement? And I think that he might actually. Right. I actually would. If if anyone in Britain, yeah. I could tr- I could put any kind of faith in to say, look, we are going to reduce immigration. We are going to re- we are going to like re- re- strip away a bunch of Blairite laws. Yeah. We are going to do these things. I mean, like on the plus side, Farage being at GB News means that he's going to be preeminently aware of Ofcom and the problem with Ofcom, mm. things like that. Things like this, these can all be undone. You're winning right? me over, right? And if if anyone in the country has got is is poised to not only move into a space where that could happen and have the will and knowledge and intent in what they're going. It's got to be Farage, right? And so the the response to this I find very interesting because the Conservative Party is in a moment of profound weakness that I don't think they've ever actually been in before. right? And so it's not just, okay, here's the right man. He's the right man at the right time. Yeah. And so for anyone who's not been following the polls, um, the Conservative Party is on track to get the historic defeat. No party will have been defeated as badly as the Conservative Party is going to be defeated next year yep. if the polls maintain as they are. Right. So, uh, for just for reference, uh, John Major was the worst defeat that the, any party has had in 1997 to Tony Blair. Now, Tony Blair, whatever you think of him, he is the Dark Lord for a reason. He was a brilliant politician, still is. Yeah. You can't contest that, right? And so, and John Major, of course, not being... Um, anyone's idea of a brilliant politician. So John Major is very much a sort of placeholder character, uh, gets crushed by Tony Blair, fine. Uh, But no one thinks Keir Starmer is a brilliant politician. He's in fact a very John Major-esque figure, and yet he's on track to get a bigger win over the Conservatives now than Blair had over Major. So this, I think the Conservatives are very, very aware 
that things are looking very dire. What do you say, Callum? Your your optimism is something. So the the worry on the In table Texas? for for anyone looking at this is thirteen years. Yes, they've had thirteen years. That yes. party. Yes. They've had human beings come and go who have said all the right things that they will do all the right things and done none of them, yes. never implemented them. Yes. I can't find myself believing that none of those human beings actually wanted to implement them. I think some of them definitely did and could not. Yeah. So your hope is that, well, they're desperate. They'll let Farage take over because it will keep them in power, basically, as a party. And hopefully he'll be the magic one who can suddenly, within that system, implement what needs to be done. Well, And I look at myself and think, I don't trust that system. And also, I don't think he must know he can't trust that system to actually allow him to implement anything. And that's why there's the worry of if he did this, do I just kind of see him as a traitor? Because right. okay. so that's, that's, that's the worry. That's you need the someone worry. who can change that. You can't work within the system. It's someone who can change it, like Tony right. Blair did. Because yeah. Would he do that? Prime Minister Nigel Farage of the Brexit party, or Prime Minister Nigel Farage of Reclaim, or the Farage's party, yeah. I trust. Okay. Prime Minister Nigel Farage of the Conservative party, just fills me with terror that I'm going to look on him for the rest of time as someone who was a Maloney. Right. So there, the, there, are, there are obviously significant concerns. And the, the question is, would Farage be able to generate enough insurrectionist momentum within the Conservative Party? And would he have the ruthlessness to simply purge all of those people that he felt was on was in the if the he, opposition. If right? he could probably take it over, then well, I think we could I, trust. So anyway, just get, getting back to this narrative quickly. So this was a fascinating thing that came out the other day, where Sunak was just asked, "Well, would Nigel Farage be welcome in the Conservative Party?" And Sunak actually said, uh, "It's a broad church. I welcome lots of people who want to subscribe to our values, and the thing I care about is delivering for the country and more people." As we've seen at this conference, we've got record attendance. I don't think they had record attendance actually. Right. But again, the fact that he didn't say no, and this is essentially him saying, yeah, of course, Farage would be welcome. He didn't say record high attendance, by the way. It could be record low attendance, couldn't it? Oh, that's a good point. That's a great point. I, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's, and it probably is, actually. It probably is, actually, because I've seen photos of the, uh, yeah, the empty rooms. Yeah, the empty rooms. I mean, he, yeah, very, very good, very well observed. But the, the point that he didn't say no is very fascinating to me because this, Sinek is a middle manager. No one thinks Sunak is a leader. He didn't achieve his position by leadership. He achieved his position by management. And he must know that if Farage were to join the Tory party, it's over for him as the leader, right? There is, a, like, Farage will be a magnetic figure where every, he will just get up, give his sort of like, you know, and again, finely honed enough? rhetorical style. You think he's having so, a good time as leader though? But like Sunak, if I was Sunak, Sunak I'd no, out, no, not like, at all. No, but he has the machine exactly. on his side. Boris Johnson had the membership. He yeah. had that. What Farage yeah. has, it wasn't enough. The sure. machine was again. The machine got rid of Boris. The machine got rid of Truss and yeah. put Rishi in. Absolutely. But Farage, I think, represents a different kind of character because the thing about Truss, Boris, and all of the others yeah. is they have loyalty to the the Conservative Party as an institution sure. in and of itself. Whereas Farage clearly does not have. All right, but here's the question: Could people like Jeremy Hunt back Farage? No. Therefore, he wouldn't get the machine backing him. They'd be out to destroy him. So he would have to destroy the machine. Yeah. And so we we had to talk about this before the podcast. Nobody really understands how the Conservative Party is run, which is really weird because it's not run. Well, but there must be some power structure inside of it that does something. There must be. Why? They don't. They don't do anything. Well, I mean, like they don't implement any policy. Yeah, but but what I mean is they control how the machine, how the party operates, right? So inside of it, 
Yeah, so uh, Boris gets removed, Trust gets removed, and Rishi gets put on. Well, I mean, it could well, be this outside was a great of point, well, right? but, but you've just revealed to me, which is people outside of the machine seem to have far more power over this country than anyone in. But there has to be some mechanism within the machine that triggers to remove the person that the powers that be want out and impose a person that the people themselves don't want. Right? There has to be a mechanism inside the party for that to happen. Not just bankers and press colliding and could be, but there has to be someone in the party who pulls the trigger and says, "Right, you're out, Boris." You're out, trust, right? There has to be yeah, it, some is that, is cabal. Is really free to make that decision? Sorry? Is I'm that... not saying they're free or not, okay. but there has to be someone with their hand on the bloody lever. Does there? Right. Of course there does. Why? Because otherwise it wouldn't happen. I just think it's like a car that's been driving for so long and now it's going down a hill and the driver's jumped out like miles back and the car is still going down that hill. It, it, it's entirely possible. But what I mean is on a, on a direct was... practical level yeah. to get a vote to remove Boris, someone has to trigger the vote, right? Right, so, so any MP can do that, though. Anyone right, can go but, to the 1922 committee. Right, okay, So, there, but there has to be a power structure around a cabal of MPs, the 1922 committee, and then whatever, you know, lackeys or whatever that actually, you know, deliver the notes or whatever. Um, there has to be some kind of structure there, and that's what Farage essentially would have to purge, right? Yeah, it's just lots of backroom conversations. It's, of course. It's people like Michael Gove and Dominic Cummings all sure. saying, if we do this here, you know. Sure, but the, the, there has to be something that is in the party that's making it do the things that it does, or at least influencing the things that it does, right? And so the question is, does Farage have the wit to be able to identify what these things are? And I'm not saying it'll be easy, because yeah. obviously it's very obscure. Because, I mean, in the Labour Party, it's very evident that Keir Starmer is in control of his party and that obviously that Tony Blair is in control of Keir Starmer. Right? It's very evident that he's the one making executive decisions, whereas yeah. in the Conservative Party, it's not evident. Uh, and that's what Farage essentially would need to do. So he'd need to, repl- he'd need to replace the chairman of the party, yes. also the head of CCHQ, who selects mm-hmm. the candidates, yep. also the head of the 1922 committee, yep. Um, and then set up a new arm's length quango or something of his own. Absolutely. And this is this is all stuff, and we've got a great example of how this is done in Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer just purged not only Jeremy Corbyn, but almost all of the Corbynites. Yeah. But the Labour Party lost something like 200,000 members when Keir Starmer took it over. NEC members had to go. Exactly. He purged all the NEC. He purged all... He just was like, no, you're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. Right? Okay, Nigel. You've got the model. You just need to be able to identify no, you're out. You're out. Sorry, Jeremy Hunt. You're out. You're all out, right? Everything's out. This is Farage's party now. And this, I think, is possible. Yeah. I think it could be done. It just requires the will and just requires Nigel Farage to sit down one afternoon with a list of names just gone, 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 right? Okay. So, Politically, perhaps, but wider than that, you know, the reason Rishi Sunak's in power right now is because the bankers all yes. collaborated and said, no, we don't want Liz. Yes. And the, the financial institutions and, they, and the mainstream yeah. media. And they pulled the strings, they paid the money. Yeah. So he, he may be able to get rid of the politicians, mm-hmm. but how can he handle the bankers and the press? Well, in possibly a similar way to Jeremy Corbyn. Because Jeremy Corbyn relied on mass motion. Mm. Jeremy Corbyn got literally like 250,000 new Labour signups because of yeah. there were a bunch of students who believed in what he said. Well, okay, there are going to be literally millions of patriotic British people mm. Who believe in what Nigel Farage says? Yeah. Literally millions of us. I like okay. your optimism. It's good. I don't okay, know if I agree, but no, no, it's it's it's, it's like not it. it's not even just optimism. What I'm, I'm just talking about what politically is possible. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Yeah. What could happen is if Nigel Farage comes in and goes, look, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a, a 
Bloody Monday or something on the news, where it's just like all of these conservatives have just been fired, all the lackeys have just been fired, all the management. Yeah, exactly. And, and Nigel Farage is just like going, yeah, well, I think they were bad for the party, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the party. bringing people. the party into disrepute by saying that women don't exist. Exactly. And all these sort of things and collaborating with the, the far left and all this sort of stuff. Right? They, and, and then, I mean, that would be a national news. Everyone in the country would hear this. Yeah. And if Farage was just come out on Sky News and go, right, so anyone who agrees with uh, our Brexit agenda, uh, we're going to make this a Brexit pro-Brexit party. Come and join the Conservative Party. We've we've cut down the membership, so it's not thirty pounds; it's fifteen pounds now. You know, come and join this party, and and so suddenly you, it's totally feasible. Like none of this is like oh crazy, like out, off the table, right? And so uh, just a quick thing, like I mean, it's not Nigel, not like Nigel Farage hasn't been uh, very very vocal on what he would do. <laughs> like look, the tax burden, the migration, and net migration as well. Not just the Channel crossings; he's on the money, on the right points. Yeah. Right, he goes on Good Morning Britain, and they're like, "Oh well, I think the Tories are in trouble." <laughs> you know, I think the Tories are having a serious problem. Yeah, absolutely. And so he was asked, "Well, would you join the Tories?" And he had said, "At the moment, the answer would be no." And that's very interesting. So you've got the leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister saying, "Well, yeah, of course, Nigel Farage would be welcome. We're a broad church." And Farage said, "No, as you are constituted at the moment, I wouldn't join." It's like, okay, this is advancing the dialectic, and this is drawing power to Farage himself because they've got the doors open and he's like, oh, you're not worthy of me. It's true. Actually. <laughs> you're not worthy of me. And Farage, yeah. he's not, he's a very clever man. He knows what he's doing. He's a very yeah. experienced oh, yeah. Yeah. agent in this regard. And uh, and so, yeah, it's just, why would I join a conservative party that doesn't believe in anything? Right. Nigel, you're singing my tune, bro. Like you, This, this yeah. is why he's the star when he goes to this conservative party conference. He has an affirmative agenda. He, he knows what Britain should look like, and it doesn't look like that now. And if he were given any hint towards the reins of power here, I think we know that he would start acting in the right way. Uh, and so, yeah, like, um, he obviously is well aware of the political position. Only if it became a real conservative party would I consider joining. Okay, I'm, I'm listening, Nigel. You know, and I'll, I'll be, you know, one of the first people banging the drum. As you march along, my friend, you know, I mean, this this would be amazing. I would love to see you go in there and absolutely gut the Conservative Party. Because one of the problems that we have in this country, and as Nigel has discovered to everyone's chagrin, is that there's just no alternative. People vote for yeah, Labour or Conservative. Yeah. So it has to be one of these two parties that we have to go in and just hollow out, replace with our guys, and actually make it do what we want it to do. So I've been saying that the Conservative Party needs to lose. It needs to be demolished sure. so that they can have this battle of ideas and yes. rediscover what they stand for. Yes. You think that will be the point that he'd, he'd enter? I, I, I think next year. Is, it is next year when the, the next Possibly. Election. We don't know yet. Oh, right. Okay. That's British politics, folks. But assuming it's next year, yeah. they are going to lose. And they're going to have a horrific crisis of conscience. Yeah. What are we doing? What do we stand for? Well, you actually have Nigel Farage literally waiting in the wings to say, look, I know. This is what we could stand for. Yeah, and this would be massively popular. This is what your base want. Yeah. This is, and so it is entirely possible that we could see in another sort of five years' time a Prime Minister Farage. Wow. It's not that it couldn't happen. right? That's the thing. Yeah. And it would just require the... And really, I think all it requires is just an, an effort of will on the part of Nigel Farage himself. He would just have to want it. Okay. I think he wants it more than anything. Right. Like, wouldn't it be great to the end of Nigel Farage's story, Prime Minister Farage? Because <laughs> then he could become a lord of this. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, I'm just, I'm not trying to introduce undue optimism. What I'm trying to say is, from a politically realist perspective, mm. the 
doors are actually opening because politics is a series of sort of sliding blocks and sometimes you can see a path forward yeah. other times these paths are blocked and at the moment actually the path is open like actually the way the, the things are aligning so, so much happenstance involved and this is kind exactly of like, uh, if it wasn't like well, it is now contingently then it wouldn't be the case but i actually think it is possible love it Callum's like really quiet on this one. Good luck. <laughs> Nothing's easy, but we'll find a way and make one. Oh, I'll lend my 15 pounds to him. Don't worry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Like, if Nigel Farage said, I'm joining the Conservative Party, get in. It's like, okay, we're all in. Yeah. Like, we've all got to get in. We're, we're going to bring back that car meme. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. If that's what it takes. If that's what it takes. As we were talking before the podcast of you yeah. know, the, the Peter Hitchens approach of two new parties could never work because people vote for the uni party. Yeah. Lawrence Fox has had polls out there and People agree with him on everything. Yeah. Yet they still turn up and vote for Labour. Yeah. It's, so. it's just a congenital in the British over. mindset. You know, we're such a traditional party, uh, traditional country. Well, we, if only we were. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But, but no, <laughs> in, in the back of like every yeah. British person's mind, they are in some right. way like this. It's like, it's either this or this. Not, yeah. but anyway, let's go to the video comments. All right. Hi, Lotus Eaters. This is Nigel. Two things. First, dating advice. If you want a non-promiscuous wife or girlfriend, you yourself need to be non-promiscuous. Because if you do sleep around and then you're wondering where all the good girls are, you screwed them all. Secondly, a question for Calvin. Do you think that Twitter is a good space for Christian discourse? Thank you very much. That was some good advice there. Dating yeah, advice. True. Very sound. No, I don't think Twitter is a good place for discourse. <laughs> just any. Yeah, any not kind, at all. Yeah. I try to have a rule That's that I never reply. So just... <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I'm joking. I never reply more than twice in a thread because once it gets past two replies, it's just toxic yeah. and it's horrible. It's not a good place at all. I, I advise people not to use it, actually, just as I advise people not to watch television. But, but of course, we do use them because we have to. Yeah. I, I, I personally find news, it. research, and statements. That's about it. Yeah. If someone said something, I want to read it back because it's easier. But that's I use it as a massive megaphone for far right propaganda all day, every day, (laughs) and it's great. Someone's going to clip that, and that's going to be on Sky News tonight. Please, (laughs) I'll come on and discuss why it's good to be far right and being far left like you is evil. If you want, I mean, I'm more than happy. Yeah, let's hear your definition of far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're far right, you you want borders, you want Brexit, you want lower immigration. Yeah, I want all these things. I want free speech. I want decency. You know, and, and have you um, pulled the public on the death yeah, penalty? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me. No, they don't. Being far right is a very popular position in this country. <laughs> Go to the next one. Hey, Lily Peter. Just want to say hi to new subscribers. As you know by the name, I'm a huge Nets fan. Uh, you just call me Nick. I've uh, been a fan since 2017 when Sargon was on Joe Rogan and Dave Rubin. I look forward to commenting more and. Uh, God bless you guys. Yeah. God bless you too. Yeah. Was, Thanks for the new subscription, but I, I think I, I'm right in saying you probably need a new mic. Yeah, if if possible. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Sorry, but it's good to have you know as well. So. Yeah. Just yeah. If, if next time you can speak more directly into the phone or something, that would be great. It's a bit difficult here. Oh, hello. When I go out and take their cameras down, which I will be doing. Yeah. Since Lawrence Fox is like, look, I'm going to commit a bunch of crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Before he got AIDS. 
just going to at Sadiq Khan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming to... No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hilarious. Carl, I was thinking about your segment, and I think being a gentleman, holding the door open for her, all of that, it only works when women understand intuitively that they have value. When the pill and the sexual revolution came along, women basically realized they could switch off their reproduction and thus didn't need to worry about making a man earn them. So when a guy is being nice, these women think, why is this guy expending so much energy for something that isn't valuable? Hmm. That's an interesting perspective, and there's probably some truth in that. Um, so just a quick I was basically, the segment yesterday is basically, women don't respect simps, and they think that you're a bad boy if you're just normal. If you just treat yourself like someone you value, as Jordan Peterson would put it, and explain to them, look, I need personal time, so here's my boundary, and things like that. Women find that exotic and mysterious, and I'm not saying you can't hold the door open for women. I'm saying you set boundaries and enforce them. Yeah. So, But I think that's a good point. That is a good point. It was made there. Uh, right, should we go? For... Oh, sorry. There's one more video coming. I, I need to contemplate that one because I think it would be nice if we had chivalry again. But you're right. If we start opening doors, or if, start if we if we do that, yeah, it's going to be seen as simpish behaviour. Well, so how do we get to a point the, where it's the, not? The, the question is the kind of man holding the door and the way in which you do these things. If you do it because you think it's the right thing to do, then in other respects, you're not going to be simpish, and so it won't come across as simpish, I think. And I think that if if you've got a man who's kind of noble and self-possessed, yeah. who then takes the time to hold the door for a lady, then if she knows him, she'll think, oh, that was nice, you know, rather than, oh, look at this simp doing, constantly fawning over me. Yeah, but it's not an individual level, is it? It's a societal. So on the tube, I try to offer my seat to women, and I get nasty, hostile responses. Really? On, actually, on the way here, yeah. in Paddington, there was a little old lady all by herself looking around lost, and I asked yeah. if she needed any help. No, I don't need any help. It's like, well, okay, well, I, all right. I apologize. But, you know, <laughs> this is the response you get now. I'm trying to be a gentleman. That's but, so true, though. Like, I've had that too. Where it's just right. like, all right, what are you then? You're like, <laughs> you know what's funny? I never got that in Russia. I noticed on the buses, all the men always stand. Women of all ages are the ones sitting. Yeah. It's just that no one even talks. They just do it. Yeah. So, that's okay. probably how it was like here 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah, I imagine it was. And it's just like, oh, that's what Road normal it. life is. Yeah. Let's go for this next one. So, right back to pumpkin chucking. No competitors yet, but I got some practice setting it up, taking it down, and figuring out how to optimize the process. One of the things about AI is you have to put in a big paragraph of text to define the picture that you want. So it is essentially going to be kind of like the next generation of drawing tablet. Those with the skills to best manipulate the tech will be the ones that are most successful with it. Very interesting. I like the fact you've got crosses on your crusading thing. Um, should we uh, should we just go for a couple of comments, even though we're about out of time? Uh, as Desert Rat says, Calvin's back. Love listening to what you have to say. Hello, thank you uh, for that. And Severin Knox, Calvin is one of the most fascinating guests. Oh, that's very kind. Let's see. And, and there are lots and lots of comments that basically are the, oh, great, Calvin's here. So that's, that's good to know. Um, There's an awful lot of comments about you, actually. But just you have a lovely audience. We do. We do. We've cultivated a wonderful one. Uh, Omar says, It appears that leftists are incapable of understanding that non-English people can adopt English culture. It reveals their unspoken opinion. Brown people can't be English. On the other hand, anyone can be from Londinistan. Uh, regarding their insistence of Konstantin Ki Kissin is from here, despite his insistence on being Russian. Uh, they know that London is not an English city, and they don't want you to be allowed to hate it. That's a great point. That Konstantin's 
thing on GB, um, Good Morning Britain, yeah. where he's like, no, I'm Russian. They're like, you're from London. It's like, no, I'm from Russia. <laughs> I live I, in London. I do hate London, but I choose to live in London because I think we need to take it back. We need to yeah. change it. It's yeah. a mess. It's horrible. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. Yeah. The more we flee, the worse be. it gets. Yeah. That's the, uh, the issue. Um, just a couple of things on the Darth Farage one. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, there, there's, you know, George Hap says, I'm a bit miffed that Farage is the best we have in Britain in terms of prominent conservative figures. I'm still salty that he denounced Carl for a joke, which was a slimy queer politician move. I'd much rather Lawrence Fox lead the counterculture movement. It's like, look, I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. And I probably would have done the same in Farage's No, you wouldn't. Okay, no. More integrity. I am worried about that. I, uh, you you I, supported him and said, look, he retweeted Lawrence's thing, but he's very careful. So he didn't, of course. He didn't speak out about Lawrence getting the sack. He didn't speak out about Dan or, or myself getting the sack. Yeah. He spoke about the thing, the thing that was very politically safe for him to speak about. Yeah. But about. The, the thing is, conversely, there's the way of looking at it. It's like, look, you don't want someone who is going to incur undue risks, right? Now, I agree with you. That it would be the, the correct and noble thing to have spoken out in defense and to not have done. But there are other concerns and other things that are on the line. And knowing the environment in which you're operating, where you've got a massive left wing movement that is just evil and will do as many evil things as they can. Yeah. I don't blame him at all. You're right, I wouldn't denounce me either. But like I don't I don't blame him um for playing it safe when the goal was in sight, you know. Because no, that's the goal's always in sight. And the more we play it safe. The more we concede, the more we lose. This is the problem. This is why I've been fired because I, I refuse to concede. I could have stayed silent. I didn't True. have to say anything. But I thought we've got to stand up for our friends. We've got to be loyal. Mm -hmm. We've got to stand up for the principles that we believe in and the yeah. channel and all of this stuff. Like, we all have to do that. All of us. We all yes. have to stick our heads above the parapet, we, including Farage, including anyone that wants to make a success of. We do. And that would be a very revolutionary moment. Yeah, that's how we revolt. I agree. Um, but I don't think that the consciousness is there for that yet and i think that too many people are still aware that if i stand up it'll just be me uh and that's it the, will be until people stand up and that's exactly the problem but like i said i don't think the consciousness among the rest of them is there say hang on a second either we all stand together or we'll fall individually yeah. uh, and so at the moment we're still falling individually yeah. so and i think farage is aware of that i think he would perceive look if i stand up and do something out of line, out of, you know, that would put me outside of the, the very narrow prescribed boundaries of how to move forward, yeah. then I'm going to fall just like everyone else. And for us, the authority and the influence to change that. Maybe. The, the number of presenters maybe. who've been in touch with me quietly, privately to support of is course. great. Yeah. But how many of them have publicly stood up? Of and course. if he did, he's the top. He's the highest paid, yeah. the biggest ratings, highest. Yeah. If he's to stand he's up, the name. he could set the, you know, movement for everyone else. I agree. You know, but, um, but Farage still depends on other structures around him. But he we still, always will. I'm not saying he won't. <clears throat> but the point is, I, can, I, I do not in any way begrudge anyone for making prudent decisions in the position they're in. Right. And it's, it, you are right that it would be better if we had a revolutionary consciousness in this way, where we all just close ranks and said, we, we're not going to disavow anyone for any reason. You can just... You support pedophiles. I don't care who we won't shag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, you literally I'm not dealing with you people. Yeah, right. right. But un until we're at that moment, and I don't think that moment has arrived, I do not in any way blame him for okay. acting sensibly in the environment that he's in. So, I question: How do we get to that moment unless we enact it ourselves? <laughs> well, um, the raising of critical consciousness actually is how the left did it. So, I think that actually maybe we should be doing something similar. And in fact, us merely having these conversations is a step towards that position where eventually we have enough people who are just like, look, yeah, we are far right and we don't care 
that you think that's evil because as far as we're concerned that's a wholesome love of our own country and the people that we know yeah you know, we're not we're not trying to pervert things so if you call that far right okay great yeah. then that's what far right is you know if you if you want if you thought we were nazis you would have just called us nazis but you're not calling us nazis so what are you trying to stigmatize exactly and it's these sort of conversations that we need to have but we're not there yet and we certainly weren't there four years ago or whatever right and so like i said i do not in fact i would there's a part of me that may have been slightly disappointed with Farage for making a silly move because he might have got knocked down the media on him and then suddenly Farage might have lost some of the prestige and accomplishments that he'd had. That would have been actually, maybe he wouldn't have been in the position to be literally looking at the takeover of the Conservatives and going, hang on a second, I'm right here. So like I said, I'm, I'm very much a political realist when it comes to these sorts of things. I don't think it's necessarily a mark of the true belief of the person to act in a prudent way in the moment. Right. So... I'm not salty about it, but I guess we'll leave that for over time. Yeah, there is, there is one touching comment from Sophie, but I'll show it to Calvin after because it's stressed to him. But otherwise, out of time. If you want more from us, go to lowseas.com. Otherwise, where would they find more of you at this point? Um, yes, on my Give, Send, Go page, givesendgo.com slash home of cancel culture. Um, thank you the very Bob. much. <laughs> <laughs> but where else to just find updates on you? I suppose the main place probably. Um, I would say my website, calvinrobertson.com, because that has links to my Twitter and stuff like that. And, you know, I could be gone off Twitter tomorrow. So go to the website first, I would say. So there we are. People can go check it out. Thank you very much. Otherwise, thank you. Bye bye. God bless. Mm-hmm.